Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. We read in Brave New World. I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What is dystopia? What has dystopia to do with language? What has dystopia to do with memory? Why should Christians read dystopia? Joining us today for part two of our discussion of dystopia is Pastor Larry Bean. Pastor Bean serves as Paideia 4 teacher and chaplain at Wittenberg Academy. Switching gears just a bit, but I don't think we're actually that far away, this idea of monogamy, it seems, is derided in dystopia, more so in some, less so in others, but those who even ponder monogamy to a certain extent are thought crazy at the least and dangerous at the worst. If monogamy is tolerated uh, in, in the dystopian novels, the marriages that are uh, portrayed there are a far cry from the picture of Christ and the church that marriage is intended to be. So thinking about monogamy in dystopia, and we could certainly broaden that category um, in terms of just family in general, but monogamy in particular, why is it viewed as, as such a threat both in the soft totalitarianism and the hard totalitarianism? Yeah, that is a, a really uh, good topic to take up, especially in the current day and age that and culture that we live in now. Um, one of the things that a lot of people have never read, although it's very short, and our, our, our Paideia uh, four students read it in my class, is the Communist Manifesto. Uh, this is a really important uh, document, even for us here in the West. We're seeing literally entire planks of the manifesto being adopted, even in our, uh, you know, relatively free country and society. But one of the things that the Communist Manifesto calls for explicitly is the abolition of the family. Um, the the left-wing uh, newspaper, The Nation, I don't know if it's a news, newspaper is the right word. It's not really a newspaper. It's a journal. Uh, the Nation, they're very left-wing. They ran an article from May 16, 2019, and, that, and it's called, Want to Dismantle Capitalism? Abolish the Family. And they're not re meaning it in an ironic way. They're all for it. So, um, so the family is in the crosshairs of those with a socialistic, collectivized, uh, you know, totalitarian view of of life. So, uh, and another example of this is the the BLM website. Uh, before they, it got a lot of negative attention, and they scrubbed it. The BLM website listed you know, all of their goals. And one of their goals was literally, quote, the disruption of the nuclear family. Um, BLM is, was, is, uh, and a lot of people don't realize this, uh, BLM was founded by uh, Marxists, 
open Marxists uh, who were bragging about being trained Marxists. It is a manifestation of Marxism, of socialism. And so that's why that connection to the Communist Manifesto is there, the disruption of the nuclear family. So um, why is that? Well, I mean, if you think about it, we say it as kind of a bromide that family is the building blocks of society. It really is true. Uh, Family is also an impediment to state worship. Uh, So family, like religion, is a competing loyalty to the state. If you live in a totalitarian society, again, you can't have deviations. You can't have individuals. You can't have renegades and mavericks. You need everybody sort of cooperating and pulling the oars at the same time and not really questioning. I wanted to bring in at this point, um, there was a there's a great piece of uh, dystopia that most people have never heard of. This was written in German in uh, 1893 by a member of the German parliament uh, named Eugene Rickler. He was a liberal, which in those days meant he was in favor of freedom. He was, he was the opponent of the Socialist Party. So he wrote this in 1893. Um, this was before there were ever actually was any socialist government. And in this particular book, it's called Pictures of the Socialistic Future. It's more of a novella. It's not very long. Um, in it, the state essentially abolishes marriage. So um, in this particular novel, uh, spouses are just assigned to live in different places and they have different roommates. And this is, um, you know, this is based on the Marxian uh, desire to abolish the family. Um, By the way, one thing that he did predict that was really brilliant in this book, uh, which I highly recommend, is um, he predicted that a socialist Germany would outlaw emigration that eventually the state would not let people leave. Uh, And within 70 years of writing this book, the German socialists uh, in the government of East Germany uh, actually built the Berlin Wall um, and and, and disallowed people from leaving. So um, so this... uh, this is really a great short novel, and uh, it's available as a free download from the Mises Institute. I'll be sure to include that in our episode notes. That sounds fantastic. So it, regarding monogamy, it's, it's really interesting. In, in the real world, leftists here have, and quite recently so, redefined marriage uh, you know, in Western society with the U.S. leading the way, of course, with same-sex marriage uh, becoming the law of the land in, what, 2015, the Obergefell decision. Um, and, and since that time, I know that one state, uh, or at least one local jurisdiction, has legally recognized a same-sex thruple and recognized their parental rights over a child. And, and what we're also now seeing... Uh, again, this is a uh, this is all about uh, monogamy and the and the deterioration of family. Um, we're seeing children in schools and even on just TV shows. Uh, they're being taught to think very differently about what a family is. Uh, even recently, this this you know formerly innocent little delightful preschool children's program called Blue's Clues, which now uh, features a, um, a drag queen um, telling people uh, about different kinds of families that you find in the gay pride parade. Um, but so and, 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 you know, to look at dystopian uh, novels, when you when you look at Brave New World, for example, it's a completely hedonistic worldview um, where promiscuity and orgies, this is just the normal part of life. But if somebody talks about monogamy, 
me, like if they're reading a history book or something, this is like scandalous and dirty and embarrassing. It's like something you don't talk about in polite company. So we see this sort of reversal of what, of what's acceptable and what's not, what's considered polite or, or you know, uplifting and what's not. And, and of course, this is so contrary to our human nature, right, that Government has to keep people uh, in the story in Brave New World. Um, the, 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 the authorities have to keep everybody drugged up on psychotropics to control their anxiety because of this incongruity between reality and the way they're expected to live. And, uh, and, in, and also, of course, it, there's a severance between uh, sexuality and, and, and raising children in Brave New World. This is utterly brilliant. This is a, a real critique of the birth control culture that we have. In Brave New World, um, children are procreated in a lab, and then they're raised in nurseries by bureaucrats, and parents have nothing to do with it. So we see, uh, in Brave New World, we see a, a, a bringing to fruition of what happens when Marx's abolition of the family becomes a reality. It's another great example of the of the idea of the thought experiment of, of a dystopia. What happens when the when the communist manifesto becomes reality? Right. And just thinking about the implications of that in terms of when the family is resigned to, you know, all, all of the different examples that you gave, you know, whether you're just assigned, uh, you know, a roommate and, and here's your spouse or uh, whether, um, you know, there's a, um, a severing of, of, of the, 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 the marital bond and procreation, whether, you know, all of these things that we look at, the way God intended things to be. And it's, it's lockstep destruction. You know, if you were to list all the gifts that God has given us in, in, in his word, you know, in, in our lives, you look at dystopia and it's like they they have that list and it's just they're checking off, you know, okay, we'll 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 destroy that one and now we'll destroy that one and now we'll destroy that one and it's it's just it's a wake up call for us in terms of what are we doing within our own families and what are we doing within the church to direct our minds and our children back to how God intended things to be. Yeah, again, I think these, I think dystopia really does show what happens, you know, when you pull the Christian worldview out from away from Western thought or from any cultural thought, when you, when you remove natural law and the way things are, uh, and, and try to impose some alien or unnatural um, uh, worldview upon mankind. Again, these are thought experiments. You know, what happens when a government uh, tries to buck nature and buck reality? 
we Christians would say to buck the created order or to buck the logos or to, to buck the biblical worldview. But it all amounts to the same thing. It's, it's a thought experiment of what happens when you try to mold a human being into something that he is not, something that is contrary to his very nature. So you teach several dystopian novels and short stories in your Paideia 4 class at Wittenberg Academy. Now, for our listeners who are not necessarily familiar with our curriculum at Wittenberg Academy, Paideia 4 is a capstone class. It's government, economics, apologetics. It is uh, generally... The your roster is made up of seniors who are headed out into the world uh, in in various uh, um, in 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 various uh, degrees of 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 leaving or coming or going or or whatever uh, God has for them after high school. Why do you have these scholars read dystopia? as part of this capstone Paideia 4 class. And perhaps further, and, and you just touched on this briefly, but, uh, but I'd like Excellent you to expand question. on this. Um, Why I think there, there are several Christians reasons that we can focus on. I think, I think first, dystopia. there's a sense of cultural literacy that I think you, you don't have if you're not familiar with at least the, the really classic works of dystopia. Uh, in other words, in in our in our social discourse, whether it's on the internet, whether it's you know through um, uh, through reading uh, this sort of thing, it, th- there's a, a cultural uh, use of words that come directly from certain great works of literature, and and certainly that's the case, especially with Orwell. So we use words like Big Brother. Um, we use words like the memory hole. Um, we, someone might throw out a line like, we've always been at war with East Asia. And you kind of have to know the story to know why that's a significant observation. Um, Ignorance is strength, one of the slogans of the party. Uh, Room 101, this has meaning if you've read the story. And and so often, um, and, and, and also not just Orwell, but like, you know, we use the word brave new world like you'll see this as a headline we're entering a brave new world of this or that and 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 so it's important to kind of know what is being uh, talked about in it, it's like a lexicon of how we speak to one another and so these terms are often shorthand uh, for other things in the struggle to maintain our liberty and our human dignity, so that would be the first one. I think it gives it gives it gives us uh, words and 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 thoughts to use when we have discourse with each other. It's also, um, and it, this is where it's important from um, for our Paideia students. We have, uh, you know, I, the first thing that I teach them is Christian apologetics, and the first thing in, in apologetics is the whole concept of worldview. And so these are these dystopia are often thought experiments of what happens when you remove the Christian worldview. Um, and so, uh, in other words, as we Christians might think of it, is what happens when the salt of the church loses its saltiness in society? What happens? And we know what happens. It's borne out by history. It it means concentration camps when human beings are no longer seen as, as, as uh, each individual is sacred in the image of God. It means the concentration camp. It means the abortion mill. It means torture. It means gulags. 
Um, it, it means a lack of respect for humanity. Um, it, and, and, and dystopia also shows what a, you know, by its uh, by what by uh, re- the reverse to that is what a demonstration it is of the benefits to the world that Christianity was and is. Uh, Christianity is formative in the development of and uh, and the ongoing life of Western civilization, which is uh, which is the the epitome of showing respect for the individual and uh, and and recognizing inalienable rights among all people, regardless of all these external characteristics that people have. Uh, th- this is really realized by a lot of great thinkers, even non Christians. Um, I think of the great Richard Weaver. I mean, his his books just just team with the idea of how important Christianity is to maintaining a free and liberal society. But yet I don't think Weaver was a practicing Christian. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think he was, you know, actually uh, an Orthodox Christian, a believer, a church member. But as an intellectual, he understood that Christianity is crucial to maintaining a society based on freedom and human dignity. Um, Another example of this is Jordan Peterson. I mean, he's openly uh, uh, the biggest fan of Christianity that there is, but he's not one himself. But it goes to show you, again, dystopia, you you know, you can learn from uh, these great writers from the past just how important our faith is um, in that sense. Um, Dystopia is really a reminder of a lot of things that we Christians certainly understand. I mean, you you, you can't read dystopia without without being impressed by the reality of original sin, the idea that uh, man in his fallen nature is not good, Um, the fragility of freedom. Uh, the, the need for dissent and dissidence for courageous people to speak up in favor of human rights and, and you know and, and human dignity, um, the dangers of socialism, uh, the sac- you know what happens when our liberties are sacrificed for some supposed larger good, you know and think about today where we're being lured by free stuff. Think about how alluring that is. Hey, you're going to get free college and free health care and free this and free that if we just be, you know, give up your freedom and become socialized. Uh, and, and so um, th- this can be very disarming. But if you've read dystopian literature and thought deeply about these ideas, it's, it's, dystopia is really like a wake-up call. Um, a lot of dystopias feature a hero to emulate, someone who stands up, you know, someone who speaks out, resists. Um, the importance of community even, right? It, we focus on the individual, but individuals still need to seek out like-minded people. And, um, and, and the importance of historical memory. You know, history is important. And, and, you know, fighting back against propaganda and lies is important. The importance of family is, is reiterated in these books. The, uh, as we po- talked about the idea of memorizing stuff. I mean, we, we confessional Lutherans embed the catechism in the minds of our young people. We want them to memorize the catechism. We want them to memorize passages of scripture. We want them to memorize poetry and great literature. Um, this, this was crucial in the, in the days of the Soviet Union when, when people didn't have Bibles, they didn't have churches, they didn't have pastors, and, and all they could do was you know, survive by means of emergency baptism and, and by, uh, by you know, remembering the catechism with each other. Um, the importance of being skeptical of propaganda in, in all of its forms, whether it's state propaganda, whether it's the news on TV, whether it's just stuff that people talk about or things on the internet. Um, you know, and, and really, I think the most important thing is that we need to recapture our ability to say no. 
uh, we're not going to go along with this, that, or the other. We are Christians, and we're going to live by our confession. And and the importance of making that bold confession, even in the face of opposition. I think dystopian literature um, uh, helps us in all of these endeavors. And these things are really, really important to maintaining our faith and to maintaining our Christian worldview. Yeah, you think about the 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 proclamation, the declaration, the confession, the promise that uh, young people make in the confirmation rite, for example, right? That they that they are going to, uh, with with the help of God, uh, stand firm in the faith given them in their baptism, even unto death, right? And you know that that this is. Uh, that that faith literally is a matter of of life and death, you know, in thinking about eternity. But in the short term, on this side of heaven, it also could be a, a matter of of life and death. And to a certain extent, dystopia gives us the what could happen. And so, in a sense. For Christians, it seems, it could be a a comfort that, okay, this could happen, but look, God has prepared me and equipped me to to handle whatever comes. You know, in terms of you know, uh, you're you're good friends with uh, the bishop of the Siberian Evangelical Lutheran Church, and. You know, they lived this in terms of, you know, they they lived uh, a totalitarian regime and just thinking about what, you know, by the grace of God, our, our scholars, many of our scholars have not experienced that and perhaps never will. But if they do, then hopefully reading dystopia could be part of preparing them to stand firm in their faith until such time as our Lord brings them from this veil of tears. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we, it's, we, we, we as Americans have been pretty much spoiled, and I, I mean that in a sense of we have had a long run of religious liberty, of, uh, of the freedom to worship, the freedom to believe, the freedom to write and publish. Um, we don't have closed borders where we cannot leave. And, and this is, I mean, this is our heritage from, uh, from our ancestors, from, our, from going all the way back to Magna Carta in 1215, um, all throughout our existence as, you know, as colonial entities and then after the um, independence. And, and, and until very recently, <clears throat> we have valued and treasured these liberties. And es especially for us Christians, liberty gives us uh, the, the freedom of movement to be able to proclaim the gospel, to be able to believe as we want to believe, to be able to raise our children as we want to, as we, as we are compelled to by our faith. And so uh, dystopia, it deals with what happens when you lose your freedom, 
Um, it, it makes you think about what would happen if I'm being uh, um, either in a hard way or a soft way being pressured to give up my faith. Uh, what is the what is the value of liberty? Um, it, you know, if I um, if I value liberty for myself, maybe I need to uh, fight for the liberty of others, even if they disagree with me. These are all really, really important things. It, it takes us out of the realm of fiction into the real world. Um, I, I think of my, um, <clears throat> I, as you say, the, our Lutheran brothers and sisters in uh, Siberia. Their stories are absolutely compelling because they actually lived the world of 1984. Our um, our dear brother um, Alexei Streltsov, Doctor Alexei Streltsov, is the rector of the of the seminary in Novosibirsk, Siberia. And when he wrote, he wrote his I think it was his undergraduate thesis in university. He wrote it on 1984, and at that time, the book had just recently been legalized. So uh, his, his thesis is among one of the first legal reflections on the book 1984 uh, written because the book was banned until that point. I think of um, my friend Yuri Maltsev. He's a professor. Dr. Yuri Maltsev is a professor of um, economics at Carthage University in Wisconsin. Um, he was one of Mikhail Gorbachev's uh, economic advisors. And at the, at the uh, end of the 80s, um, he had the opportunity to defect from the Soviet Union and, and come to the West, and he did. I mean, think about what that means to defect. I, I think most young people have no idea what a defection is. When you defect, it means you leave behind everything. You leave your country. You leave your property. You leave your family. You flee in search of freedom. That's how important liberty is to people. And so I think uh, a combination of being exposed to real people who lived these real things and these real memories that our governments and our, you know, uh, people who want to control us would like to stifle and like to limit our access to these things. I think it's important to listen to those voices, to hear their stories, to uh, to listen to what they have to say, and also dystopia takes what they what they what their life experience and it and it puts it into a way that into a into a format of fiction of storytelling. It's almost parabolic, almost like Jesus's parables. These dystopian stories happen in unspecified times. So um, Orwell used the use the date 1984 because he just he just transposed the last two digits of the year that he wrote it it's something that can happen in any time at any point in the future and and really like you said especially for us christians because our confession our faith is the most central thing of all and 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 it 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 runs directly up against uh, what any kind of totalitarian society wants. There is no totalitarian state that will tolerate Christianity, um, whether it's through a brutal, just put them all in concentration camps and shoot them kind of persecution, or whether it's, well, we're going to threaten their tax-exempt status. <clears throat> I've recently read about uh, uh, the. the uh, there are a lot of people on the left who say that since uh, since the American bishops are threatening to not give President Biden communion because of his stance on abortion, which is part of their canon law, uh, people are saying, "Well, they better give him communion, or we'll just we'll just take away their tax exemption." Uh, Congressman Andrew Yang just said, uh, "I dare a, a priest to not give me communion." And and so we're seeing this sort of clash already between our our country, our state, our our our, uh, our nation is a free country. We are not 
communist Russia, but we're seeing grumblings and rumblings and maneuvers and moves towards that kind of thing where the church is going to be bullied to the point where we're told who we're going to give communion to. I mean, can you even imagine it that we would live in a time in the United States of America where you have congressmen and politicians basically telling the clergy whom to commune? So this is these these stories I think are so pertinent now more than ever. Uh, they were they were fresh and they were important when they were written um, in the in the mid twentieth century. But I think now uh, they are more important than ever. And we you know we don't know what the future holds for us. Maybe it's going to be like uh, Marley and Scrooge, and maybe Scrooge is going to wake up and change direction. Who knows? I mean, there is an optimism that we can pursue, but there's also a, a realism that we need to keep in the in the back of our minds that we may be facing very dark times but at, in the end we know how the story ends we know that Christ returns we know that we are raised from the dead bodily and we know that we have eternity to look forward to but but in the meantime we have the cross of 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 living in this fallen world and dystopia i think makes us ponder things in ways that um, other genres may not uh, expose us to Pastor Bean, this has been wonderful. We could certainly continue this discussion. There's so much. I mean, we just really scratched the surface of dystopia. And certainly, um, I would encourage our listeners to take a look at dystopia. If if they haven't uh, read dystopia before, perhaps they're, you know, <laughs> there's, there's a certain fear of dystopia, you know, yeah. um, because, because it's, it's so depressing and it's so, uh, you know, d- discouraging. Um, I would, I would encourage them to, to, to check it out. If they were to start one place, if they were to jump into dystopia, where would you recommend that they jump in? That's a really, really good question. It, you know, it, it, I think it kind of depends on where a person is in terms of reading, in terms of um, that sort of thing. Uh, like I said, I have not, I have not read the Hunger Games, and I've not seen the movies, but I have only heard good things about them. So, you know, that might be a kind of a, a, a real light way to sort of uh, make the leap. I did, I did mention some movies. The movie They Live, uh, I think, is a, a remarkable. It's it's a spoofy movie, but it's also profound in many ways. Um, the Book of Eli has a strong Christian theme to it. That's all I'm going to say because I don't want to give any spoilers. But in terms of uh, of reading, I think um, Animal Farm is a great um, a great introduction in the sense that it's a very short book. Um, it's a, it's you know the characters are animals, and uh, now if you if you do read it, you, you don't necessarily have to know the all of the details. But Animal Farm is a very um, it, it tracks very closely with the Russian Revolution and the um, the development of the Soviet Union. So in other words, some of the animals in the story actually correspond to real people. So you don't need to know that to appreciate the dystopia, uh, but it does help. It, it is it is a helpful educational tool if you really want to know. Okay, uh, you know who does Napoleon stand for, and and what which are you know the the two main characters that are pigs. Who are they in in Soviet history? Um, but really, um, I think the king of all dystopia is really 1984. I think that's probably, if I had to say that one of them is the most important of all, I would say read 1984. It is accessible. Uh, it, 
it, it is kind of depressing. Um, you know, uh, it's it's not it's it's not a uh, it's it's not a Hollywood story where you know everything comes out great. It, it but it is a very very profound book, and you will see parallels to uh, a lot of things. Um, I think that's really. I think that's really the one that that you know if 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 you're if you're comfortable doing some doing some reading. It's not a long book, uh, but it's it's certainly longer than Animal Farm. Uh, but uh, definitely, 1984 would be the the one the one that I would recommend uh, that everybody should read. Reverend Larry Bean serves as chaplain and Paideia Four teacher for Wittenberg Academy. Pastor Bean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jocelyn. It's uh, not just a pleasure, but it's a great honor. Uh, to, it's a great honor to be with you today, and it's a great honor to be on the faculty of Wittenberg Academy. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.